Well, have you ever faced a problem that you just couldn't solve? A problem you couldn't solve. Something you had no answer for, something no matter how hard you tried, you just couldn't fix. Now, my dad, he is the king of solutions. He can solve just about any problem, whether it's a drainage problem or something wrong with the car, chances are my dad will be able to solve it. But I thought, surely there is something, surely there's something that dad hasn't been able to solve that he's tried to. Now me, dad and my brother, we have this little WhatsApp group chat thing that we have going, it's called The Boys, and I, got, I jumped on there and I, and I asked dad the question, I said, dad, can you think of a problem that you just couldn't solve? Something that you put your mind to that you just couldn't come up with a solution for. Surely there's something. But my, my brother responded first with his suggestion. This is what he said. Me as a teenager. I thought it was a pretty fair call. He was a bit of a rat bag as a teenager and he was a bit of a problem sometimes. But aren't we all? Well, when you've got a problem but you haven't got a solution, you can feel pretty helpless, pretty powerless. This is me when I can't figure out how to answer an exam question, when I can't get my kids to listen to me, no matter how much I tell them to do something, when there's no answer for medical problems. I feel weak, I feel feeble. I feel completely powerless. Well, over the last few weeks, you've been tracing the Bible's story, the true story of God, the world and us. But as you've seen, this story is sin-filled and shame-filled. We've rejected God and the world's under God's curse because of it. The consequences of sin are serious. We live in a prison, a prison of fear and shame. In our fear, we can try to run from God, but we'll never escape. And in our shame, we can try to hide, but a fig leaf's not going to cut it. We can't break free from the prison of fear and shame that we're trapped in. Sin and shame are problems that we've got no solution for. At the end of the day, no self-help guru can clean us up. No amount of positive thinking can change our hearts. No instruction manual can lead us out of the prison that we're in. There's nothing we can do about the problem. We're trapped. God has to step in. The solution has to come from Him. And the good news is, while it's our nature to hide, it's God's nature to seek. And I hope you've seen that as you've been following the story. Because you see it time and time again, don't you? As God comes to his people and makes promises. But the high point comes, the high point of God's seeking us out, if you like, comes in Jesus, the promised king and the true son. The king who will fulfill God's promises. The king who will bring blessing to the nations. And the cross... The King's cross is the key. And that's what we're looking at this morning. Because with the cross, all of history looks forward to it. 
All of history before the cross, sorry, looks forward to it. And all of history after the cross looks back to it. It's right at the centre. But if we've been Christians for a while, and I'm not taking it for granted that all of us have, but if we've been Christians for a while, this mightn't shock us. Of course the cross is at the centre of the story. Of course the cross reveals God's plan most fully. Of course the cross is God's solution to our problem. Well, praise God if you know and trust that. But the cross should still shock us. Jesus died for me is true. Jesus died for me on the cross is truly shocking. Well, 1 Corinthians, I think, helps us to see this clearly. It shows us the shame of the cross, and that's the first thing I want to look at uh, this morning from the passage. See, the Corinthian world that Paul spoke into was a world that valued honour. It was a world that valued prestige, and you see that in what they desire in their leaders. You know, they're looking for the most impressive leader to line up and follow, the one that's the most honourable and prestigious. But Paul in this world, preached the cross. This was completely bonkers, totally against the grain of culture, totally against all expectations. Have a look at verse 22. In the world of honour and prestige, what do the Jews demand? Jews demand signs, miracles, wonders. That's what impressed them. If you could do the spectacular, you'd have their respect. What do the Greeks look for? Greeks look for wisdom. Wise and witty speakers who explained life, the universe and everything in their witty ways. That's what impressed them. If you could speak with style, it didn't really matter that much about the substance, but if you could speak with style, you'd have their respect. But in verse 23, listen to what Paul says. We preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Pretty pathetic. In the world of honour and prestige, there is nothing impressive about a dead man on a cross. Now we need to see what Paul's doing when he says we preach Christ crucified, okay? It's easy for us to just gloss over it without a second thought. You know, we've seen it before. But Paul's making no sense by saying this in the world of honour and prestige. See, Christ crucified is an oxymoron. Sorry to take you back to the English classroom, but if you don't know what an oxymoron is, it's when you have two things that can't possibly go together. Okay, so Christ and crucifieds and crucified are words that couldn't possibly go together. They contradict each other. A bit like frozen steam or upward decline. Only far more shocking. Well, what is it to be the Christ? It was the title of the king anointed by God. And the Jewish people for hundreds of years expected God to raise up a mighty king who would overthrow their enemies and rule the world. But Paul's message is Christ crucified. Well, what is it to be crucified? Crucifixion was reserved for the worst of criminals. It was so shameful that in polite society, you didn't talk about it. 
It wasn't dinner time conversation, if you like. The one crucified would be ridiculed and mocked. It would be done in public as a horrific public spectacle. They'd be stripped naked and publicly disgraced, and they'd be humiliated and die in shame. I tried to think of a way of illustrating this, Christ's humiliation and shame, a way of picturing it, but I don't think I can. Not without taking away from the utter shame of the cross. You see, there's no equivalent, no other example of public disgrace and humiliation comes close to this. Hear what's going on here. Paul's preaching that God's chosen king in his death has been ridiculed, humiliated and shamed. For the Gentile, the non-Jew, this was stupidity. It was utter madness. Only a moron would believe it. Have a look at this piece of Roman graffiti from about 200 AD. Alexander's God, that's what it's been called. Jesus is there pictured on the cross as an ass. And Alexander's worshipping it. It's just blatant mockery. Mocking Christians for worshipping a man who was crucified as God. For the Gentile, it's ridiculous. It's stupid. It makes no sense. It's laughable. See, the cross has never been palatable to the world. But what about the Jew? Well, Christ crucified was, was and still is extremely offensive to Jews. Why? Because in Deuteronomy 21, it says that anyone who hangs on a tree is under God's curse. So you see what's being said. If you say Christ crucified, you're effectively saying that the one God has chosen to be king is also under his curse. The one favoured by God under the judgment of God. It's outrageous. How could Paul even say such a thing? How could the blessed one be the cursed one at the same time? The cross of Jesus does more than just highlight his death full stop. That's what I've been trying to show here. It highlights his humiliation and his shame. But what does the shame of the cross teach us then? Well, I think it drives home for us the harsh reality of our sin in the first place and of our shame. And by doing so, it reveals our utter helplessness before God, our powerlessness to do anything about the problem. See, at the cross, we see the power of sin to degrade humanity. Our sin is so damaging, so destructive, so enslaving that the only one without sin, the only one without shame, had to be shamed. If you want to know how serious our sin and our shame is, look at the cross. This is what it meant for God to step in. This is what it took to deal with our problem. The cross shows us our biggest problem. We've all got problems, things that cause us anxiety. Money problems, family problems, other relationship problems, 
work problems, all kinds of problems, and don't hear me wanting to trivialise those at all. I take it that all of us, in one way or another, are trying to solve these various problems in our lives. And as I said, I don't want to trivialise them. But there's no problem more pressing than our sin and our shame. That's what the cross teaches us in the first place. But it's not something we can deal with, our sin and our shame. It's only something God can deal with. We're all rebels who've rejected God's claim on our lives, aren't we? That's the truth, if we're honest with ourselves and before God. Now, we might try to suppress this truth. We might even convince ourselves that our sin's not that bad. It's so easy for our sin to become acceptable, isn't it? Even in church, some sins can be tolerated. Is there sin in our own lives that we're turning a blind eye to? Is there sin that we're making excuses for? Maybe anger. I wouldn't lose my temper if my colleagues at work were easier to get along with, or if my kids behaved better. Or impatience. I'd be more patient if the lines weren't so long, or if I didn't have to do so many things and everyone else would just do their jobs properly, there wouldn't be a problem. Or gossip. There's no way to avoid hearing the things people say and when they ask me questions, I can't avoid sharing what I know. We need to face up to our own sin. We need to face up to it because our sin meant that Jesus died a shameful death. That's the the heart of it. But he did it to deal with it. He did it to deal with our problem of sin and shame. This is the solution. This is the power of the cross. Jesus' death on the cross is the greatest act in all of history. Against all expectations, against what it looks like in its shame and in its degradation, the cross is the height of God's power. I'll read from verse 23 again. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God. We saw that Jews demand signs. Well, the irony is that the cross of Christ is the greatest sign that there is, pointing to the power of God to save. It's only because Jesus bears the curse of God for us that we can be rescued. It's through the cross that the blessing promised to Abraham could come. And it's for all people, Jew and Gentile, male and female, tradie and professional, child and adult, the privileged and the disadvantaged. There are no distinctions with the cross. Jesus dies in our place offering salvation to all. He takes on himself our sin and our shame, making it possible for our relationship with God to be restored. By trusting in him and by turning away from our sin, we move from darkness to light, from death to life, from under the judgment of God to being favoured by him. This is the power of the cross.
Now, I need to flag the resurrection here. I do know that you're looking at the resurrection next week, so I won't say too much, but I just want to say that Paul's writing a letter here. Remember that. And in this letter, he doesn't just connect God's power with the crucified Jesus. Actually, more often, he connects it with the risen Jesus. You see, it's only that Jesus rose again that his death is powerful and effective. The gospel Paul preaches is useless if Jesus stayed dead. Because if Jesus stayed dead, he still seems cursed. If we're talking about the cross, we're implying the resurrection. You can't separate them. But more on the, resu- more on the resurrection next week. The power of the cross is that it brings salvation. And further on, down in, in the passage, in verse 30, Paul spells out this salvation with three big words. Two that end in nus and one that ends in shun. Through the cross, we've been joined to Christ. And because we've been joined to Christ, He's our righteousness, our sanctification, and redemption. Sorry, that's, <laughs> that's two that ends in shun and one that ends in nus. Righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. These are the blessings that come to us who believe through His death. And they're all loaded terms. Hugely significant in the story of God, the world, and us. Righteousness. This is law court language. We were condemned by our sin, guilty before God, but because of Jesus, we're now innocent, declared to be right before God. Sanctification. This is temple language. We were stained by sin and cut off from God, but the blood of Jesus washes us clean. We have access to Him now. We belong to Him. And redemption, this is slavery language. We were slaves to sin, unable to free ourselves from the prison of fear and shame. But because of Jesus paying the price for us, our freedom is secured. Do you see how the cross is God's power to us who are being saved? At first appearance, the cross looks to be this shameful and pitiful defeat but it turns out to be God's mighty and decisive action to rescue everyone who puts their trust in Him. See, the world will never be impressed when we put our faith in Christ Jesus, when we put our trust in the cross. I'm guessing that you're not going to be honoured at your work Christmas party for pinning your hopes on the cross. You won't be rewarded with a few extra days off for your faith. But you're greatly honoured in God's eyes. We're God's chosen people, dearly loved, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Christ's done. There's no room for boasting except in Christ. Yet He has rescued us by His death on the cross, in our place. And he accomplishes all of this according to God's master plan. The cross is also God's wisdom. Back to verse 23 and 24. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. We saw that Greeks 
look for wisdom. Well, the irony is that the cross is God's wisdom writ large over all of history. The cross is at the centre of God's wise plan of salvation. Christ crucified was no accident. It wasn't God's plan B. It was God's plan A. His eternal plan to seek us out. See, we, we have the privilege of being able to look back and see the cross as God's big reveal. Massive reveal. It's the biggest reveal ever. Forget the block. Forget house rules or some other rubbish reality TV show. This is the reveal. This is the reveal that matters. The reveal that makes sense of the story about God, the world, and us that you've been tracing. See, when we discover from this story that God's solution to our problem is the cross, what's our response? Well, I reckon the Bible reader who, re- who reads from Genesis through to uh, a gospel and then you get the crucifixion and you read Romans and 1 Corinthians and you, you start to see it all come together. But I still think when you get to the cross in this big story, it's, it's kind of surprising. It's still shocking. But then as you, as you see that it fits with what's gone before, there's that of course feeling as well. So there's the surprise, but then it's, of course, that's how it had to be. It's kind of like a good detective story, I reckon. I'm surprised with the reveal that Harry poisoned the town's drinking supply. But then I see how it all fits with the clues laid out in the story. It's shocking that Christ crucified is the way that God deals with our sin and shame. There's no way that Jews in exile, in their wisdom, would have come up with the cross. There's no way if you grabbed all of them, all the smartest Jews in, in exile, and they had a committee meeting and said, how are we going to get out of this? What are we gonna, how are we going to have our problems solved? They wouldn't have come up with the cross. It's not something that you can come up with in human wisdom. It's God's wisdom, though. And in light of God's promises... As he reveals it to us, it all makes sense, this story. As we look back at the key markers of the Old Testament, at Abraham, at David, all the key markers, we can see how they point to the cross. All the promises of God point to the cross. They bring us here. God reveals to us his plan of salvation at the cross. And by his spirit, we come to know the truth of of it and he does it as the message of the cross the gospel message comes to us in the power of the spirit the cross gives us true understanding of god and ourselves the cross reveals most fully the god who seeks us out and the cross provides the solution to our biggest problem we've we've all tried to run from the truth of who we really are haven't we We've all tried to hide and cover over our sin and our shame. But at the foot of the cross, we don't need to run. At the foot of the cross, we don't need to hide. Have you realised this? Knowing God's power to save 
we can live without fear of being exposed. Our sin and our shame is known, and yet God has acted decisively to deal with it. 